love the world. That is why we are here this morning. I want to say welcome to you this morning who are here in person. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online, whether that's on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Be sure to like, to heart, to share there. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, click that little notification bell so you'll get the live updates, as well as to follow us there on Facebook, and you'll get the same. Uh, but thank you for joining us there, as well as on our phone live streaming. If any of you need that number, uh, please see me after church, or you can call the church office. We'll be glad to give you that number so you can join in that way. Uh, we do want to encourage you, if you're at home and you, don't, and you have access to the Internet, uh, to go Go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Just a few tabs over is the info tab. Underneath that's a lot of resources uh, for each week. Each week those changes. Uh, so you have your uh, worship bulletin that's under there. If you need one of those in person, they're at the doors uh, and in the windowsills up here at the front. We also have our children's worship bulletins that are ages 3 and up and ages 7 and up, so be sure uh, to get those downloaded uh, online or pick those up in the windowsill over here to my right. And then also under that same tab is the prayer list, uh, so be sure to get that downloaded. And those are outside the office uh, on the table there across from the offices uh, in the book rack, so be sure to grab those, be praying through those prayer needs. If you're a guest this morning, uh, we want to welcome you, and we ask, if you would, to pick up one of our guest bags that are on the sides of the stage at the doors as you leave, so be sure to get one of those. It has some information about our church, uh, <clears throat> has some things we want to share with you there uh, about our church, and also just some gifts in it that we want to say that we appreciate you being here with us this morning. So as we begin our worship, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our first congregational hymn.
Amen. As we come to our time for our missionary moment, uh, let me just remind you it's there in our bulletins, so be sure to take a look at that. Uh, it's uh, to recognize Josias and Deborah Laporte, uh, who are serving in Canada. They are serving in Gatineau, uh, which is on the border there of Ontario and Quebec. Uh, Ottawa is uh, Canada's capital city uh, it, and is on the English-speaking side. Uh, this city that they're in is on the French-speaking side. A lot of the government leaders live in this area, and they are reaching out there, especially one of the examples they give there is to a women's shelter uh, that they help to paint. Uh, and being able to reach out there through the women's shelter and to help uh, many of those women. And so when that happens, church members have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So we want to pray for the Laportes who are serving there in Canada as our missionaries and then also be praying for all of our missionaries around this world. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning for the many blessings that you have given us. We thank you for your presence here with us this morning. And Father, we pray that you would be with our missionaries, the Laportes, especially as they are serving there in this uh, French-speaking area of uh, Canada. Father, we pray that uh, you will bless them as they ha have reached out through this uh, opportunity here through the women's shelter. Lord, show them many other opportunities that may be around them uh, to share the gospel and to minister and to serve uh, the people that are around them. Show us, Lord, uh, ways that we can serve in our own community. And Lord, we pray that you'll bless us in our tithes and our offerings that as we give uh, to support our missionaries each and every Sunday, may we be able to give more uh, to support them. And so, Father, we ask your blessings upon on those missionaries we ask for your protection over them and we ask for you to provide for their every need bless us as we come to worship you this morning we give everything that we have and all that we are to you and we ask for your holy spirit to be present here lord to speak uh, from your word in truth to speak to us through the songs that are sung and we pray god that you will just move in a mighty powerful way this morning in jesus precious name we pray amen and amen uh, let me just remind you also that you can do your online giving from at home there. Uh, go to the church website, go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. Real easy platform there for you to set up for you to do. Uh, you can set up a one-time gift, a recurring gift. You can do that even from here in person, but we do have offering envelopes uh, that are still in the windowsills uh, for you. If you haven't noticed yet, we don't have any pews back yet. We talked about that uh, possibility this past Sunday, uh, but we had some they had some difficulties with the paint on the sides, so uh, they're taking care of that, and that'll be here hopefully soon. Uh, so we just wanted to uh, let you know about that, that we'll have those uh, soon. Uh, so you can pick those offering envelopes up in the windows and put those in the plates down here at the front or at the doors uh, as you leave. And then just as a reminder, don't forget, we don't have our fifth Sunday rescheduled dinner today, but we do have uh, our fifth Sunday sing uh, tonight. So just wanted to remind you of that if you want to sing tonight, uh, a duet, a solo, you want to play one of our instruments or you have an instrument that you want to bring to play, I want to encourage you to take the time uh, to let us know that, let myself know, let uh, Brother Mike know uh, so that we can get you on the schedule for tonight. But you come tonight to support those who do, you're going to receive a wonderful, wonderful blessing uh, from that. So I'll turn it back over to Brother Mike. We're going to have a good time tonight. I hate for you to miss it, so come support. Sing with us now as we sing What a Friend We Have in Jesus, 182, going to choir.
children are gathering over on the piano side for children's church join us as we sing uh, victory in Jesus y'all stand let's sing victory in Jesus
Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn again to John's Gospel. We're in John chapter 17, uh, continuing our walk through what we are, have entitled The Greatest Prayer. Uh, but I also have a subtitle for this this morning that you don't see on the screen but do in your bulletins uh, that's called All That Will Be Glory. Uh, and we sing a song, something about that also. We'll see it a little bit later here. You know, as we talked about before, if there was a such thing as uh, a better, better Bible chapters, uh, this would probably be one of them. Uh, the doctrine is very vast here. There's a lot that we could spend a long time going through this prayer and unearthing and still never scale the heights or the depths uh, of this passage. Uh, here we have what some call the real Lord's Prayer, the greatest prayer ever prayed, uh, the Holy of Holies uh, of prayers. Uh, and, and in fact, it's uh, as we see what Jesus teaches his disciples, that is the model prayer. Uh, this prayer is the greatest prayer Jesus ever prayed. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce says that in approaching this chapter, we ought to feel a little bit like Moses at the burning bush, and he suggests even that we uh, remove our shoes, for John 17 is indeed holy ground. Now, we've already looked at the person of this prayer. Uh, we've looked at the prayer that's being prayed, and we want to begin here, if you will, again, with John chapter 17, verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, so let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for the blessing, Lord, of your word. Lord, we know that your word is powerful, it is sharper, it is alive. Father, it is piercing our hearts. And Father, I pray that you will use it, Lord, to, to lead us this morning to a closer walk with you. Lord, reveal yourself uh, through the power of your word. Make yourself known to us this morning. And may your word be anointed in a very powerful way to, to speak to our hearts. Whether we're here as a person who knows Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that it will encourage us and give us direction for our lives. Or if we don't know Christ, that it will point us to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray for your blessings on this message this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. So we've learned about Jesus uh, by listening to this prayer. Uh, we've been learning how to apply this prayer to our own lives as we seek to glorify the Father uh, as, as a direct answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed. We're also going to see here this morning that uh, he actually prays for each of his followers, including us. 
But let me just give you a quick review from where we were last Sunday. So remember that we've already looked at verse 1 and verse 5 to see that Jesus lived a life of intimate prayer. Jesus is praying all throughout his ministry. There's times he's, he's getting away by himself to pray. There are times he's praying amongst other believers. And here we get to eavesdrop, if you will, on the greatest prayer ever prayed because of the setting, which is the night of rest here of Jesus, because of the subject, which is the glory of the Father, and because of the speaker, Jesus Christ. That's why this is the greatest prayer. Now, the language of this prayer we talked about last week indicates a relationship that we also need to make sure we have the relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior as we go before the Father in prayer. Uh, Jesus had that relationship as he is the Son, uh, God is the Father. But the length of his prayer also implies a, a consistency uh, that Jesus, this wasn't just a one-time prayer for Jesus. Jesus was always praying uh, like this. And that's the way we ought to always be, always going before the Lord, always praying before Him, being consistent in our walk, in our life of intimate prayer with Him. We saw also that Jesus lived a life of intentional purpose in verses 2 down through verse 3. And we saw the plan of His Father, that God sent Him into this world to save those uh, who were sinners. Uh, he sent Him to pardon those who are His followers in verse 3. And then we saw as we closed the message last week, that Jesus lived a life of perfect praise. Everything Jesus ever did was perfect. Every person who ever truly looked to, at the Lord uh, said the same thing about him. You remember we talked about that. Judas, who betrays him this night, uh, even goes on to say, I have betrayed innocent blood. Uh, you remember Pilate uh, says when he goes before him at the trials there, uh, he says, I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife uh, called him uh, a just man. Uh, the centurion said, surely this was a righteous man. Uh, the repentant thief on the cross said, this man has done nothing wrong. And so we saw the sinless character of Jesus in, in the submission of his will that we're going to see also a little bit later here uh, in the prayer in the garden, uh, that he comes to the garden and he prays to the Father, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Uh, that was Jesus' message to his followers, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. It was to be a life of submission. So our prayers need to be focused on, on submission. And, and then we saw also the success of his work because he, he speaks here uh, about his work in going to the cross uh, and his work was as, as good as done. Uh, notice, uh, if you will, back in, in verse 4, he said, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. In, in that verse, he's talking in the past tense there. Uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And Gethsemane is not going to change his mind, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane there. The religious trial is not going to change his mind about going to the cross, uh, about his path. The unjust trials that he's going to face before Pilate and before Herod, that's not going to derail his mission. He has an appointment with the cross uh, of redemption. And so this moment 
had been prophesied by, by Adam in Eden's garden. It had been foreshadowed in the Old Testament by Noah and the ark there. It had been personified by, by Abraham as he went up on that mount to offer his son as a sacrifice. That was a picture of what Jesus was coming to do. And even Moses painted a picture of it with the blood that was put over the doorposts that, that the Lord, that God would pass over those houses and spare those people, save those people. And so Jesus knows here that the moment has come, a debt has to be paid, a work has to be done, and the debt is sin and the work is sacrificed. And although it's going to take several chapters for us still to get there to where Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, in that moment, all, of, all the wrath against all of our sin was satisfied on the cross with Jesus Christ. He lived a life of intimate prayer. He lived a life of intentional purpose, and he lived a life of perfect practice. And so now we come to this part in the remaining parts here of the chapter to see in verse 6 through verse 21 that he prays for his followers. He's praying for those disciples who've been with him these three, three and a half years because remember they're troubled. Uh, Jesus has been talking about going away, and they're like, why are you going away? Why can't we go with you? And, and they're troubled about all this. And, and what are we going to do? How are we going to keep going forward? We need you. You're our leader. You're the Messiah who's supposed to become to deliver us. And, and so Jesus in this prayer is concerned about his disciples immediately who are there with him, but not just those 11 who are there with him. He's concerned about us, his followers also. And so in verse 6 to verse 21, generally speaking, we see here that prayer, generally speaking, is a private thing. Uh, Jesus himself even rebukes prayers offered for the purpose of being heard uh, by men. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't pray public prayers because here Jesus offers a public prayer of his own, public at least in the sense that he prays it within the hearing of these 11 remaining uh, disciples. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit later has John transcribe it here so that, so that through the Scriptures we can learn uh, through what we hear, what they heard as Jesus uh, prayed. So in verse, for the first five verses of this chapter, Jesus had prayed for himself, but by far the bulk of this chapter is pr spent praying uh, about his and for his disciples. He prayed for those 11 men, and then he actually prays for each of his followers, including us, as we said. So he began begins this section of his prayer by describing the followers for whom he prays. So uh, let's begin here, if you will, uh, in verse 5 down through uh, verse 6. Or actually, let's begin with verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So, so just stopping right there for just a moment, here Jesus uh, says, I have manifested or I have shown your name. In the Bible, name refers to nature because names so often were given to reveal uh, the character, to reveal something special about the nature uh, of the person bearing the name. You think about in the Old Testament, uh, the person named Jacob. Uh, Jacob was a, a, a man who, who, who was a schemer, who was a deceiver, and that's what his name uh, means. The Hebrew root of his name means to take by the heel, uh, to, to trip up, to deceive. Uh, you think about Isaac. 
in the Bible. Isaac means laughter. And we remember from the story of the birth of Isaac uh, that, that it caused uh, Abraham and, and Sarah to laugh, thinking we're in our old age, how are we going to have a child? And so they named him Isaac. Uh, that's what God named him, and he was, it meant laughter. Even the name Jesus reveals that he is the Savior. Uh, that's what Jesus means. It means uh, salvation. Uh, and so he says, I have manifested your name. I have revealed the nature of you, God, the Father. One of the ministries of the Son was to declare the Father. And so the Greek word translated there, manifested or declared, means to unfold. It means to lead, to show the way. And Jesus didn't instantly reveal the Father in some blaze of glory here because the disciples couldn't have stood that. In fact, if you'll remember when, when Moses came in, into the presence of Jesus, uh, what did Moses have to do? Uh, when he came into the presence of God, he, he had to hide behind the cleft of the rock and, and just see the train of his garment pass by because that's all that God said he could even stand. And even when he came down off that mountain in the Old Testament, what happened to him? He was glowing. He was glowing all over, and people were like, whoa, what, what happened here, Moses? And so here is, here is Jesus who shows the glory of the Father, but he doesn't show it in some blinding blaze of glory because they couldn't have endured that. Gradually by his words and by his deeds over those three, three and a half years, he had revealed to them the nature of God as they were able to bear it. But the emphasis in this section is on the safety of the believer. Notice uh, God keeps his own. So let's just continue on down uh, in verse uh, 6 uh, and continue on going down to verse 7. He says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they, they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled." And so here we see uh, in, in this verse here that, that God had kept his own, even in verse 12, except the one, Judas, uh, who betrays Jesus. And that, even of itself, was by divine appointment also because that was to fulfill the Scripture. And, and so what we see in that keeping of us and, and the keeping of his disciples is that our safety depends upon the nature of God, not our character, not our conduct. Uh, when, when he was on earth, Jesus kept his disciples and they could depend on him. He, he said, I kept them in your name in verse 12. So think about this. If, if, if the Savior, limited in his human body, could keep his own while he was on this earth, shouldn't he be able to keep them now that he is glorified in heaven? He and the Father together with the Holy Spirit are surely able to guard and to secure God's people. So in other words, when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, your salvation is secure, not in you, but in Him. 
Furthermore, God's people are the Father's gift to the Son. Notice who gave them to Jesus. The Father did. Uh, so think about this. Would the Father give His Son a gift <clears throat> that wouldn't last? In other words, if God gives Him these uh, people, gives us as followers of Jesus Christ to the Son, uh, then you can be assured and rest assured that He's going to keep us in our salvation. In other words, you can't lose that. When you trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and you've truly done that in your heart and your life, uh, then you are in the hands of Jesus, and Jesus' hands is in the hand of the Father, and nothing, the Bible says, can pluck you out of His hand. The devil can't get to you to pluck you out, to cause you to lose your salvation. That's why we believe in the security of our salvation, if you're truly saved. Now, there's a lot of people who profess with their lips that they're saved, but their life doesn't live it, and it indicates that there's not been a change in the heart. So make sure that you examine your heart, that you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you're not trusting in yourself because yourself will never bring security to you. And so uh, how precious we are in the sight of God. He watches over us, and Jesus even prays for us even now. The Bible tells us that right now He is interceding before the Father on the behalf of every person who's here and every person who's watching online who knows Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. How precious that is. And so whenever you feel as though the Lord has forgotten you, or you feel as if His love is, is so far away, remember what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 down through verse 39, and you'll find that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our security rests in that fact, and we are here to glorify Him. That's what verse 10 is saying. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So think about that. With all of your failures, with these disciples, with these 11, with all of their failures, because remember, there are many times Jesus performs miracles before them, and they doubt who He is. Uh, they doubt the miracles. They doubt that He can even do anything. Remember, uh, there they were out in the wilderness. There's 5,000 uh, men and, and plus the women and the children who are gathered, and they're wondering, how are we going to feed so many? Not realizing and not remembering, this is the Son of God who's with us. He can do anything. And they doubted Jesus. They didn't trust in Jesus. And so even with all their failures, and even with all their faults, you think of Peter and all the things he, was, he did uh, that were wrong. Understand this, the disciples still received this word of commendation, I am glorified in them. Those 11 who seem to be failures, who seem to mess up all the time, I'm glorified in them. Did you know that if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior here this morning, you are glorified in Him? Think about it. Would it bring glory to God if one of His own who trusted in the Savior didn't make it to heaven? Certainly not. That was the argument that Moses made of the nation of Israel uh, when, when Israel sinned. Uh, in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 12, when they had come out of Egypt, he said, Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he, did their God, bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. In, in other words, uh, Moses here inter 
intercedes on behalf of the people to say, God, please let this be a testimony to the people of the world, especially to the Egyptians, that you kept us safe even with all of our faults, even with all of our sin. You kept us safe. Certainly God knows all things. So why save them at all if he knows they'll fail along the way? Because of this, because whatever God starts, he always finishes. Let me remind you of this verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 16, that says, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Jesus prays here for their unity in verse 9 through verse 11. He prays for their security in verse 12 down through verse 16 and for their purity in verses 13 through 17. So let's continue reading with verse uh, 13. He says, But now I am coming to you. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Who's that? That's the devil. Uh, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world, verse 16. Then verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Uh, so here we see in these verses, know this, that Jesus is praying for your unity. He's praying for your security. He's praying for your purity. He's praying for you and me to live a godly life. But notice that Christ doesn't just offer a plea here. He mentions the plan. The plan is, the psalmist says, how can a, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Elsewhere, the Bible says, uh, your word is, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so to pray for purity while ignoring the Bible is like praying that you want to lose some weight while you're in the drive-thru at Dairy Queen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. You need the Word of God. Jesus' prayer for purity is not generic, it is specific. He doesn't pray, God, help them not to lie. He prays, God, help them to know that your Word says that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. He doesn't just pray, God, help them to be sexually pure. He prays, God, help them to know your Word to flee fornication. He doesn't pray, God, help them to be nice. He prays, God, Father, help them to know your word says to be kind to one another, to be tenderhearted. In other words, you have a prayer partner, and his name is Jesus. He's praying for us. He's praying for us to get along. He's praying for us to stay saved. He's praying for us to live uh, for, for the Father. And then when you come to verse 18, down through verse 21, you get a little into the part of the prayer that's even more specifically for us. So when you read verse 18 there, he said, as you've sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. 
And for their sake, I have consecrated myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So there he's talking about the future believers. And then you come down to verse 21, and he says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so here, as we've already considered verse 18 as, as John's version of the Great Commission, the thought is repeated again in verse 21, in John 20, 21. Uh, there the resurrected Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Uh, so the phrase where he says, I sanctify myself, simply means that Jesus was willing to be set apart for the Father's purpose. And so Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. And so this verse here teaches us that Jesus' death on the cross both empowers and demonstrates our work on his behalf to reach the world. So, so in other words, if we're not busy reaching lost souls and discipling those who are saved and seeing the kingdom of God expanded, then we fully don't understand all the reasons that Jesus died for us. And then when you look there at verse 20 and verse 21, it's clear that this entire prayer has been prayed for those 11 disciples and for all those who would believe in him because of their witness. And the only reason we are saved today is because they did what Jesus told them to do. If they had not done what Jesus told them to do, then the gospel would have never went forth and we would not be here today. So think about that. We have a responsibility as believers today to keep the gospel going forward for the next generations, to, to see more people be saved in future generations. And so the question is, will anyone ever be able to say that about us? You see, the mission is simply that our lives would be so changed and so transformed that the world would have to sit up and take notice and investigate the claims of Christ for themselves that they see us living out in our lives. So as a part of being a witness to the world, Jesus prays for our unity. That's the fifth point we want to see as we get more into verse 20 down through verse 23. So unity is one of the, the, the main themes of this prayer. In fact, uh, this thought is repeated several times in this chapter. Seven times in this prayer, Jesus prays for us to be something. Four of the seven are to be one. In fact, in verse 11, verse 21, verse 22, and verse 23, Jesus prays for the unity of his followers. So let's continue on with verse 21 down through verse 23. He says, I pray that they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. I in them you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So what was he praying for? What is unity? Understand this, unity isn't unanimity. Uh, there's a sign that says, I could agree with you, but then we'd be both wrong. 
the disciples had often exhibited in their own lives a spirit of selfishness, of competition, of disunity. Uh, all you got to go do is go back and read uh, the character of who they were. And that must have broken the Savior's heart. I wonder how he feels today, though, when he looks at the condition of the church today. Unity isn't unanimity, and unity isn't uniformity. We don't all have to be the same. In fact, I think God likes variety. We have our different preferences. We, we bring them into the body. We're all different at different stages in our Christian walk. Some are baby Christians. Some are fully mature Christians. Some of us are in between in all kinds of different places. We're at different stages in our Christian walk. Truth is, I think unity may be better seen when we don't agree in terms of, of our preferences. Unity has to be a rallying call, a place to meet. And if we are all going to come together, come together where? Where are we going to come together? Around the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus never prayed for us to be united with the world. We can be united with non-Christians in a lot of things, reducing crime, the sanctity of human life, feeding the poor, disaster relief, many other things. But Jesus also never prayed that we would be united with those who claim to be saved but don't preach the gospel. You see, the requirement for unity is not that we seek unity. The requirement for unity is that we seek truth. And where do you find truth? In His Word. You can't have unity without truth, and without truth it's not unity, it's just a theological compromise. So unity requires the Word of God. Also, this prayer isn't primarily about organizational or congregational unity, although it may impact that. True believers are united spiritually as the Father and the Son. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. Leon Morris said this in his commentary. He said, Jesus wasn't praying for one big church with all believers outwardly united under one big banner. He was praying for a deep spiritual unity, a unity like that between the Father and himself. So think about that. What would happen if followers of Jesus were united around a truth like that? Ephesians 4 verse 3 says that, this, that we ought to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 down through verse 6 says, There is one body and one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so even though Jesus is referencing here, a spiritual reality, this unity isn't just theoretical or a theological matter. This unity is obviously practical because it's something that can be seen by the world. But think about that. Why then is the church, or does the church seem to be so often embroiled in controversy? Churches and Christians get divided over all kinds of things. Sometimes we let something divide us from one another, uh, and, and when we do that, we're, we're not cooperating with the prayer ministry of the Lord Jesus. The unity of the church is the foundation of our evangelism. Because think about it. John 13, verse 35 says this, By this will all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love one for another. 
So think about that. With all the tension and, and, and all the chaos in this world, we as the church of Jesus Christ ought to stand like a beacon in the darkness. Lost people ought to be drawn to Jesus because of the love we share with each other. D.A. Carson said this, this display of unity is so compelling, so unworldly, that their witness as to who Jesus is becomes explainable only if Jesus truly is the revealer whom the Father has sent. Uh, another, uh, another person said it this way, love for one another is the church's ultimate apologetic. It's the ultimate proof to the lost world that Jesus is who he said he is. But by contrast, think about this. Who wants to be a part of a family that fusses and fights and feuds all the time? If that's the message and the image we're presenting to the world, nobody wants to be a part of that. You, you can have that in your biological family. Why would you need a spiritual family to do that? And so we need to make sure that we are being unified as Christ is with the Father. And then he closes this prayer with the glory in verse 24 down to verse 26. Three things that he shows about the glory in these verses. So verse 24, he says, Father... I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He closes with the glory of heaven. It's a place we can go. He says, be, I pray that they would be with me where I am. He's describing a real, literal place. Here we are, just a dozen verses or, or so uh, 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 away from his betrayal and his arrest. And with the darkness of Gethsemane setting in, this prayer of Jesus repeats this theme that he introduced earlier that night. The language here in verse 24 would have had a ring of familiarity to these disciples earlier on that day. You'll remember on that dark night, Jesus had prophesied about his betrayal. He had said, one of you is going to betray me. He had prophesied about his betrayal and his death. And no doubt he noticed the anxious look on the, on the faces of those disciples. And as those disciples are going into the, to the darkest night and, and to the longest day of their life, Jesus wants, to keep, wants them to keep in mind, this place you're at is not your home. I want you to be with me where I'm going to be. What an encouraging word when we struggle with the difficulties of life to remember that this world is not our home. I'm just passing through. You know, many people believe that heaven's going to be little more than a great day on earth. Perfect weather, friends coming over for a little barbecue, hanging out by the pool behind the mansion, uh, neighbors singing, uh, not, not having to hear them uh, blaring their, their Hank Williams Jr. greatest hits. By the way, uh, we'll all realize that, that heaven ain't a lot like Dixie when we get there. You heard that song? If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. That's not the right approach to have. When you talk to some people, they seem more interested in what we'll see in heaven. They're, they seem to be more focused on what we're going to do in heaven rather than on who we're going to see and who we're going to worship. Now, those things are all wonderful, but that's not what will make heaven be heaven. Heaven isn't about a what. Heaven isn't about uh, a where as much as heaven is about a who. 
The songwriter Dottie Rambo said, We shall behold him face to face in all his glory. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul described the, the internal desire that he had. He said, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with who? Not with family and friends, not with grandma and grandpa, but with the Lord. Paul described that inner desire there, and Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet who? To meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with who? With the Lord. See, that's what heaven is the focus of. There's a lot of things about heaven that we simply don't know, but the things we do know uh, that will make our reunion with those loved ones so wonderful, uh, with those who have gone before us, is that we will be with Jesus. But about 60 years after this night, this same apostle is in the Spirit on the Lord's day when he receives, among other things, a glorious glimpse into this place we call heaven. He sees marvelous and mysterious things, but the thing that caught John's attention the most wasn't a what, but a who. Because there in the center of the throne of God was a lamb that had been slain. But that slain lamb was doing, doing pretty well. He was standing. And there was a multitude of people gathered around who were crying out, Worthy are you, O Lord, to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain, and with your blood you have purchased people for God. As a great reunion of saints as, as heaven will be, heaven isn't about me seeing my dad who died when I was five years old when I get to heaven. That's going to be wonderful. But that's not going to be what heaven's going to be all about. It's not about my grandmother as much as I love my grandmother. All those loved ones we have aren't, aren't twiddling their thumbs at, at, the, at the eastern gate waiting over there for us. They're at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. You see, the glory of heaven involves a place we can go, but his prayer also involves the glory of the Father, a person we must know. Notice verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. We've already said that heaven isn't as much of a what or a where as it is a who. We're reminded here that Jesus isn't just the essence of heaven. He is the entrance into heaven. Verse 2 had said uh, that the Father has given him power over all flesh. Verse 4 of this chapter had said that the Father had given him work to do. In verse 7 it had said that the Father has given him all things. In verse 8 the Father has given him words to share. In verses 22 and now in verse 24 the Father has given him glory. But seven times in this chapter Jesus says that God the Father has given him people. We saw before that salvation is a gift, but it's also true that the saved are a gift. We're not saved because of any good in us, but because there's good in the one who gave us life. And without uh, the work of grace in our heart, we'd be numbered with those who do not know God. Our righteousness, the Bible tells us, is as filthy rags. On our best day, we're unacceptable before him. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, opened our eyes, unstopped our ears, softened our hearts to believe. There are certain things about Jesus you can't get into heaven without knowing. He was born in Bethlehem. He turned water into wine. He was baptized by John the Baptist. Those things don't matter about getting into heaven. There's a lot wrapped up in this phrase, though, that we see here in verse 25. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. We need to know the reality of his coming. 1 Timothy chapter 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am the foremost. So we need to know the reality of his coming. We also need to know the reason for his coming. Luke 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we also need to know the results of his coming. Because if you realize those first two things, here's what the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's the whole purpose of why John has been writing all this. You go to, to John 20, verse 31, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus prays about the glory of heaven that involves a place we can go. He prays about the, the glory of the Father that involves a person we must know. But he also prays about the glory of his name that involves a praise that we must show. Notice verse 26. This is how he finishes his prayer. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So one Greek lexicon points out that the word name, as we've already said somewhat before, it incorporates everything that is thought, that is felt or aroused in the mind by mentioning the hearing or remembering the name. If we said a name like George Washington, that would conjure up in your mind certain thoughts. Abraham Lincoln, uh, that would give you thoughts about that person. Or, or, or Billy Graham, you would think about all the things those people have done in their lives. You'd think about their characteristics, their contributions. In other words, the word name is used to describe everything the person is. Leon Morris said also this, the word stands for the whole character. The word name stands for the whole character. No doubt this goes back to John 1.18, that no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And although that's a different Greek word, the idea there is of unveiling and explaining and making known. This great God who is, is eternal knew we couldn't comprehend eternity, so He sent His Son, Jesus, so we wouldn't have to wonder. And so we wouldn't have to wander too far away uh, to act on, uh, on our behalf. We can listen to the cries of a peasant girl as she gives birth in the barn. When we wonder if he's concerned about our needs, we can remember him stopping by the pool of Bethesda and healing a crippled man. When we wonder if he's willing to forgive us, we can see him scratching in the dirt when they brought that adulterous woman and he rode in the sand there. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We can listen to him as he tells Simon Peter. Remember he told him, you're going to deny me. In fact, you're going to do it three times before the cock crows. But before the book of John is over, Jesus restores Peter. 
So Peter, as an example there of, of all uh, fallen children of God, understand this, God is better at forgiving than we are at sinning. When we get to heaven, keenly aware that the only reason we're there is because that Jesus revealed the Father to us, may we say, all hell the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. What a powerful, powerful prayer that Jesus has prayed. The hymn writer Charles Gabriel summed it up this way, when all my labors and trials are o'er, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore, will through the ages be glory for me. When by the gift of His infinite grace, I am accorded in heaven a place, just to be there and look on His face, will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, yes, glory for me. When by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory, be glory for me. What a powerful prayer Jesus has prayed, and He's still to this day interceding for you. He's warning you this morning that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to come and receive that free gift of salvation. He's warning you this morning as a believer to come into the unity that he has with the Father and to be like him, to be a witness to this lost and dying world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. What a powerful, powerful prayer. And yet so much that we've only just scratched the surface of this passage. And so, Father, I pray that, that you would create a hunger and a thirst in us to get even deeper into this wonderful, wonderful prayer. Not only, Lord, just to have knowledge uh, more about the things that we understand through this prayer theologically, but more importantly, to apply its truths into our hearts and our lives, that we would be one in Christ, one with each other, uh, showing, the, uh, showing this world the love of Jesus Christ through our love for one another, uh, living in that. And Father, I pray that you will uh, just transform and change us from the inside out. Lord, help us to be sure that we're in your word and that we're basing everything we do and every, every word we say, every action we take on what your word says, not on what we feel, not on what our desire is, but what does your word say for us to do? Lord, may we always come back to that. May that be the foundation for our lives, to live in the truth of your word, to be more like Jesus. So help us this morning that if we are here and we don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior, to call out to him and to ask for salvation, knowing that if we repent of our sin, that Jesus will save us. And Father, I pray that if we'll do that this morning, may we come to publicly profess that faith in Christ by coming forward here in this invitation. Father, I pray that your will will be done in those individuals' lives. Maybe there's other people, Lord, that you're working in to come and to be a part of this fellowship. Lord, there are others who simply may, to be, may need to be praying in their hearts. Lord, I don't look like what this prayer Jesus is praying for me. I don't look like that. And I want to be more like that. I want to be more like Christ. And so, Father, I want to bring glory to you. I want to come in all submission and humility 
to take up my cross and to daily follow you. So, Lord, I pray that you'll begin to change us and transform us for the journey ahead. And may you have your way and your will as we come in repentance too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 275, I surrender all. Uh, as we sing that on the screen, would you stand? Would you come this morning? Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. seated. Brother Steve, if you'll come and share our announcements. Good morning. A couple of people have asked to make announcements this morning, and Rima is first. I'll be fast. I just want to say a great big thank you for all of you who have uh, participated in Christmas in August. We have just a few more days that we will be emphasizing for this time our operational Christmas child. So if you've not yet uh, taken an ornament and done some shopping, we encourage you to take care of that this week as we wrap up that particular emphasis. Uh, one of the ministries that we support as a church is Life Choices and they are having a uh, fundraiser on September the 14th at First Baptist Church in Manchester. If you'd be interested in hosting a table for that event, would you please come and see me sometime today or tomorrow, call me and we'll hook you up with that. And lastly, if you're on the missions team, would you meet me over here at the organ for just a moment so we can set a future meeting time? Thank you. Thank you, Rima. Uh, Linda Smith. Thank you, Pastor Jim, for the reminder that Jesus is always praying for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all who volunteered for Awana this year. I have had children ask me all summer long, when are we starting Awana? This Wednesday. We're having the kickoff from 5.30 to 7. 
I would like to ask all the volunteers for the kickoff to be in the fellowship hall by five o'clock. There's a number of youth that I don't know if their parents know that they have volunteered, so you might want to check the volunteer sheet. Also, if God is calling you to serve in Awana this year, it is not too late. We still need a few more subs, some kitchen help, and help with games. And I promise you, you will be blessed. But better than that, you will have an opportunity to be a blessing by sharing Jesus with these children. Thank you, Ms. Linda. A couple of quick announcements and a couple of prayer requests, and then we'll uh, dismiss in prayer. First of all, Mark Raymond needs the personnel committee, Pat Williams and Rick Miller, to meet at the piano after the service this morning. Uh, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., Jimmy Gaddis has requested that some men be here to help move the chairs out and uh, prepare to put the pews back in. Pat Williams asked me to tell you that the Priscilla Shire simulcast sign-up is still open for registration. It's out in the hallway. The deacon election uh, goes through today. So this morning and tonight, if you've not voted for uh, the deacon election, please do that. The box is out in the hallway. And then we have three prayer requests. Donna Adcock's sister, Terry Parrish, is at Harton Hospital in AFib. Phil Henderson is at home recovering from knee surgery. And Sandra Wells' surgery has been changed to September the 8th. So if we could be in prayer for those things as well. Anything else before we close with a word of prayer? I noticed the screen says goodbye. I guess this was a long goodbye. So we'll, we'll pray and leave now. Please join me in a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we Thank you for this day. We thank you for the honor and privilege of being here at this time. We thank you, Lord, for this church and what it means to our, our individual selves, Lord, to our families and to our community. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, be in unity and, and support you, Lord, and represent you, Lord, in a lost world. Uh, Lord, we ask your forgiveness of our, of our sins, which are many. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.